Hi everyone, welcome to our show. I'm Dan. And I'm Andrew. And today, we will be discussing why certain people like certain types of music. So what's your favourite music, Andrew? Ah, well, it has got to be the old generation of music. The sound of the likes of the Beatles and Genesis is truly spectacular. What? It's the newer generation of, for me, the rhythm and catchiness of the music you just can't beat. Have we ever taken the time to appreciate some of the old-fashioned music? Being honest, I feel that's a little overrated. Overrated? Can you explain? Look, I don't see this going anywhere, but thankfully, I happen to know two guys who can help us answer this age-old question. Daniel Keeley and Liam Norton. Thanks, lads. As you might know, I'm Daniel Keeley, and today I'll talk about the different styles of music, and why people might prefer different genres of music to others solely on the music level. Later on in the show, Liam will be doing an interview with two psychologists who have done research about why people like certain types of music based off their age and personality. Without further ado, let's go. As you may already know, the most popular genres of music today are rap, pop, and electronic dance music. Over the last few years, I feel more and more people of the older generation get frustrated and annoyed at the state of modern music today, whether they listen to the music on the radio or when a family member or friend introduces them to newer music. For me, and most people, there's been many a time in which me or a sibling put on music in the car after listening to it for only a few seconds, a parent or other decides to turn it off, making an invalid excuse, saying, they're just saying the same words over and over, or this isn't real music. Back in my day, my music had this, this, and that. This got me thinking, are my parents correct in this situation? Or, and is there a way to prove them right or wrong? I'm going to try and answer these questions as best as possible right now. First, a few disclaimers. When I say the broad term modern music, I'll be talking more about music from the late 2000s up to the present day. Also, there are some notable indie rock bands that are quite popular today. However, for the sake of simplicity, I'll try to leave this genre out of the umbrella term modern music, as it is not as popular as the others mentioned. So firstly, the main example of older music would be rock music. Although there have been multiple different genres over the past 60 years in the mainstream, no genre has been as popular as rock. So firstly, how did rap and pop music become so popular, and how did rock fall to the underground over the past decade or so? The main reason rock has been decreasing in popularity is because of the rise of automation in music. For example, up until recently, if someone had an idea for a melody or chord progression, it would take a fair amount of time for the song to be finished, as all the other members of the band would have to meet up, learn the song, and find out what to play, record it demo, and if they had enough money and a label willing to produce it, they could possibly release the song to the public. Although the song process took a huge amount of time and was quite tedious, it meant that each part of the song had to be well thought out, and it led to songs sounding a lot more complex and longer, because the songwriter was able to put more time and energy into it. Compare this to the modern day, in which it is much easier to develop a song idea than it was only a few years ago. For example, if a producer creates a beat on his or her laptop, the producer can just play the same beat for the entire song with these due to recordings being done digitally instead of tape. All the producer would have to do is wait for a rapper to come in, rap two or three verses, come up with a hook line, and then you have a song. I'm simplifying it a bit here, as many rappers and producers often change the beat in the middle of the song for dramatic effect, which is called beat switch, which results in the overall feel of the song changing. However, most of the time rap songs today consist of one beat throughout the song, 
that can easily be produced on a laptop. This is not necessarily a bad thing, as I like the idea of rappers freestyling over a simplistic beat and creating a hook, as it means the listener is more focused on the lyrics and the rhythms that are coming out from the artist. This means anyone can sit at home on their laptop and easily create beats on DAWs such as Pro Tools and Logic and can make a great sounding song by just using their laptop and never having to enter the studio once. This means that anyone can use music like their favourite rapper very easily. Another reason why mod musicians prefer to write rap and pop songs is because the production on most rap and pop songs is much better than older songs. Sound engineers get a great sound out of vocalists by using a little bit of auto-tune to fix any small mistakes in the recording process. As well as that, producers can get an unlimited amount of drum, synth and guitar samples out of all the plugins available on their computers. This means that the producer can find the best sounding drums and synth for the song. Although the songs may seem simplistic in terms of structure, melody and harmony, they make up for it by having great production. A lot of older music snobs might say that music today is overproduced and that there's a lack of human element and talent in the music. I find the statement somewhat true, however it isn't perfect either. I do feel that there is a lack of human element to the music. I feel that programming everything to a grid system, in which every instrument is precisely in time, makes the song have less groove and feel. As well, I feel that the overuse of autotune in a lot of pop songs is very annoying, because it means that these singers are accepting mediocre performances in the recording booth, and are hoping that a sound engineer can make their sound much better than it was. This means vocalists aren't willing to push themselves to get the perfect take and are contempt with putting in lackluster performances in their music. However, in some tracks from artists such as Kanye West and Travis Scott, the heavy auto-tuned vocals are almost treated as different instruments and make the song sound more melodic and harmonic, which I particularly enjoy. This brings us back to another question commonly asked in music in the music business. Is rock and older music dying? Are less people listening to it now because we have become so used to formulaic four-chord pop songs? Is there any chance of a modern rock band coming up from the underground and topping the charts? Well, that's a tough question to ask. However, what can be said is that there has been a revival in the guitar over the last few years, especially during the coronavirus pandemic. More and more people have picked up the guitar over quarantine and are starting to appreciate the brilliance of the instrument. We can see it in some pop songs that have real parts in their songs and aren't just using synth samples as their main chords. As well as that, on social media, a lot of guitarists are posting there and it means more people are getting exposed to the guitar. So does this mean that rock is going to make a comeback? Well, no. I think that the guitar will become more popular, but I don't think that artists are going to suddenly have more intense guitar parts in their songs. I feel that over the next five to ten years, there could possibly be an innovator who can come along and will change the state of modern music today. To conclude, I'd like to play a song for another innovator who changed the way that music was played in the late 70s. This man was a great guitarist and he changed the landscape of music for years to come. He was a true inspiration and is a guitar legend and I'd like to commemorate the song for Eddie Van Halen. Thank you.
Thank you very much for that, Daniel. And now we are speaking with Dr. David Greenberg, who's the Zuckerman Postdoctoral Scholar at Bar Ilan University in Israel, an honorary research associate at the Autism Research Center in Cambridge University, and the founder of Musical Universe. Most of his research involves personality and how it influences music preference. Hello, David. Thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. So before we get into any specifics, can you explain, how do you go by studying people's music preferences in accordance to their personality? In a variety of ways nowadays. It used to be that it was confined to a laboratory setting where people would have to come to a university and sit during a a laboratory and listen to music or fill out a self-report questionnaire. But now Mm -hmm. we can put preferences in all sorts of ways online and taking streaming data from Spotify or looking at people's Facebook likes. The way that I've been doing it with Musical Universe, I've been doing all these ways, but also by asking people to listen to music and to rate how much they like it. And that's easily done online. And so we've been really successful and able to test this across hundreds of thousands of people in hundreds of countries. And um, that way we can really map people's musical preferences and how it links to their psychological traits. Mm. And what results have you found from testing out all of these people's personalities and music preferences? One of the things that we found is that we can predict people's personality traits just from their musical preferences alone and that this, these predictions are, are pretty accurate. So it's the equivalent to imagine somebody that you might be at school with or at work with and, and the extent to which they might be able to guess your personality traits. Uh, well, if you, know, you filled out a personality test, the algorithms that we built would be able to predict your personality just as accurately as a course mate or a workmate. And I, I saw that in, in, in one of your research papers, it mentions empathizers and, and systemizers. I'm guessing that these are the two big classifications that people get put into. So what are the difference between these two? Empathizers are more emotion oriented and have a greater drive to understand how other people are thinking and feeling, whereas systemizers have a greater drive to build, analyze and understand systems. And it's actually interesting, um, the, in terms of musical preferences, the study that we had come out with, now it's several years, it's back in 2015, mm. is the first study to look at these two constructs of the mind and how it relates to musical preferences. And, and before that study that we had come out with, the vast majority was looking at a different categorization of, of personality, which is based off of the something called the Big Five model. And so the empathy systemizing dichotomy uh, was really interesting to us because basically the musical preference profile of empathizers was essentially across the board when you look at all different types of preferences for musical characteristics, mm. the complete opposite profile of systemizers. And so that type of discrepancy being so transparent was really fascinating to us. So what was the, I suppose, the difference in musical tastes between the two classifications? Well, empathizers, on average, were preferring music that was more mellow, less intense. They preferred music that was slower in tempo, that had more um, negative emotions. And in psychology, 
when we say negative emotions, we mean things like that music that expressed sadness or depressive characteristics. And they also preferred music that had a great degree of emotional depth. And so those types of features are often represented in music, say by Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? And so the opposite profile of that, which systemizers had on average, was a preference for higher tempo music, music that was more fast, music that was more upbeat, that had positive emotions, that was fun and joyful, and music that had more cerebral or intellectual depth that in some ways could almost be like a puzzle acoustically that needed to be sorted together like you might hear in avant-garde classical music. What about the people who have a wide variety of music and may like both styles of music that empathizers and systemizers like? It's a great question. So there's empathizers and systemizers, but there's also people who have, and it's about 33% of the population, that their drive to empathize is relatively equal to the drive to systemize. And these individuals have more diverse playlists and might like both of the songs at different times in different contexts. Mm. So, and in addition to that, what we understand is that, yeah, on average, we can certainly group empathizers and systemizers in different categories and see that their musical preferences on average are different from each other. But musical preferences are not alone driven by empathy and systemizing traits. It's only part of the story. When we take a step back, there's a lot of other factors that are also driving preferences. And the way I like to think about it is to think of it like a constellation, that there's a lot of different factors involved. And um, in another one of our research studies, we were looking at a trait called openness to experience. Um, people who are higher in openness tend to be more liberal thinking and more creative, um, more outside of the box. And people who score high in openness who have more open personalities um, their playlists are very diverse as well. And they can have music across a bunch of different genres and a, across a bunch of different characteristics. So obviously there are exceptions, just like there is anything in the world, whereas perhaps a systemizer may like the music that an empathizer would be most associated with and vice versa. Is it possible that if a systemizer or an empathizer is listening to the music of the other, is it possible that it can change that person's personality? That's another great question. In fact, there's been so many people who have you know, asked me about my research or asked to me to explain it. And that might be one of the first times that that was asked in that way. And so there's two parts to the question. So whenever we're dealing with science, specifically in social and psychological science and dealing with averages across populations, there's often outliers that you can see. So mm -hmm. if we're doing a study of thousands of people, 10,000 people or 200,000 people, there's of course gonna be people who, an empathizer who prefers music that's 
not what's found on average or the norm. And that's why whenever we do a study or try to explain the research, as scientists and researchers, we're very careful to say, on average, this is what we find. So there's certainly people that may be listening to this and they feel, wait, I'm, I think I'm an empathizer, but I really like heavy metal music. And that's like, you know, that's great. But when we look on average, typically that's not the case. So that's kind of the first part of your question, which is that there's certainly outliers. And in that way, too, that just the diversity of human life and the beauty of human life. Um, now, the second part of the question is also interesting, is that does music change your personality and your behavior? And that's a question that is a lot more difficult to run a study on. But what we know is that there seems to definitely be an ind indication that listening to certain types of music can change behavior, at least in the short term. So there seems to be some evidence to say that listening to more music that has maybe more pro-social or empathic or emotional lyrics can make somebody act in a more empathic or pro-social way in the short term. But the question, I think, the really in interesting question, which I think you're implying, is can the music that you listen to and listening to certain music really change your personality in the long term and in its formation? And that we don't know. We don't know that yet. Hopefully soon, um, as more data comes in, we'll be able to identify patterns like that longitudinally over time. So we could see how someone who's 13, what their development is in terms of their music listening and their personality is throughout their teenage years and then their young adulthood. But that evidence, we're still uh, waiting for the data and to come in and, and to do the analysis. And then obviously, like we've just been discussing, music preference can be a reflection of somebody's personality type. Do we know what this says about perhaps rap artists compared to jazz musicians or drummers compared to vocalists? Yes. So what inspired me to do the study on empathizers and systemizers was from an anecdotal and a real world experience, because I'm a musician, first and foremost. And during my years at college and studying at conservatory, I had two different teachers, two different saxophone teachers, whose approach to studying music and whose personalities were very different. One was very more analytical and the other was much more emotion-based. So this to me seemed to suggest that um, musicians have different personalities and also that those personalities reflect differently in the, the music that they produce. And so then I applied it to musical preferences. But if we go back to look at the original observation I had about musicians having different personalities and then different musical production, there is evidence to say that people with different personalities tend to produce different music and even different types of instrumentalists. So for example, vocalists who are often at the center of the stage and they're taking a leading role in the music group tend to be more higher on extroversion. And music that musicians that are more in a support role, so like a bass player, tend to be more agreeable. And that makes sense because their role in a quartet or in a small group like that is more being supportive and in a supportive role. And so um, not only 
is the personality seeming to influence or, or be linked to the types of music that's being played, but also the role within with within a within a band or quartet or, or a musical group? Well, unfortunately, we are running out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. Dr. David Greenberg, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Liam. Also joined by Dr. Frank McAndrew from Knox College University in Illinois, America. So Frank, we've all been there. We're in the car or at the dinner table and we're having a family argument over what music to play in the background. Why is it that parents and children have different music preferences? Is it that people are no fun once they turn 30 or is it something more complex? Well, I think you're right that people are less fun when they turn 30, but I don't think that's the whole story uh, about the music. There are a lot of different things going on, uh, but one of the big ones is simply that people over 30 are busy with other things. Mm. They're raising families, they're getting their career started, and they just don't have the leisure time to spend with friends, listening to music, talking about music, having music be such a central part of their life. And so they let it slip away. Uh, it's not something that you can devote time to. Whereas for somebody in their teen years, music is a central part of your life. Mm. Uh, you're dancing, you're listening to it, you're talking about it with your friends, you're going to concerts, and uh, it's just easier for you to be in touch with what's happening right now. But that's not the only thing that's going on. So if older people hate all this new music, why is it that teenagers like all this intense, faster-paced, and different music? Well, uh, first of all, a lot of times music for younger people is designed to be irritating to older people. Uh, protest songs, uh, anti-war songs, uh, new genres of music that are just completely uh, different from what your parents listen to are brought into being because you want to rebel against these tastes. You want your own music. But I think the fact that the music for younger people tends to be sort of loud and fast and intense uh, reflects the fact that when you're younger, you're higher in something called sensation-seeking. It's a personality trait. You can sort people out according to how much they like stimulating, arousing things. And as we age, our sensation-seeking tendencies decline. So you like calmer, quieter things as you get older compared to your youth. So that's one of the reasons why that kind of music would be more interesting to younger people. Now, people might say that, I guess, a certain song might remind them of a time or occasion when they were younger. Why is that? And how does it affect the music that we listen to when we're older? Well, that's absolutely right. Um, especially if it's an emotional time or place. If you were going through some hard times or you were having a new love or a big breakup or whatever it might be, uh, the strong emotions kind of imprint the song on your memory. And hearing that song later in life instantly transports you back in time to that place, and it gives you a chance to reminisce about uh, your life at that time, and it brings back often very good memories. Part of the problem with younger people 
is you haven't been around long enough to have old memories associated with music. Mm. If you're 15 or 16 years old and you started listening to music when you were 13 or 14, well, there just isn't any music in your life that transports you back anywhere. So what music can do for older people, it can't do for younger people. And that's one of the reasons why older music uh, is still rewarding for older people to listen to. Mm. But then when my family would, you know, be going to a quiz night at our local sports club, it does seem that the mothers are more aware of recent chart music than the fathers. So it does seem, however, that they do keep up with some new music. Is this a reality or just a false perception? No, no, there actually is evidence that this is true. Now, uh, even women decline. I mean, they, they're not as interested in new music as they get older, mm. uh, as they were when they were younger. But they're still more interested in it, it seems, than men are. Men kind of give up on it uh, in their early 30s, and uh, that's pretty much it. Now, there are, I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule. But you're correct. In general, women are more likely than men to maintain an interest in um, new music. But we don't really know why that is. It's interesting. Okay. Well, I've read in your article online in Psychology Today that we prefer more familiar music, I guess. And it's the music that we hear when we are younger that is most familiar to us. So why is this the case? Well, uh, we like, um, there's something in psychology called the mere exposure effect. Uh, that's one of the principles behind advertising. The more we see something or hear something over and over again, the more we tend to like it. So uh, advertisers show us their product over and over and over again. They uh, connect it with a jingle or a song of some sort. Uh, so they connect as many things as they can with it to make us remember it and have it be uh, part of our life. Music works the same way. The more often you hear a song, the more you tend to like it. You know the words, you can sing along with it. And so familiarity leads to more liking. And when you're young, you just spend, we already talked about this, a lot more time listening to music, reading about the artists, uh, singing along with the songs. So they become part of who you are. And when you get older and you're no longer paying attention to new music, the music that you have uh, that does that for you is that music from your youth. Mm, so do, does this mean that if you're playing an instrument and you are more exposed to the sounds coming from that instrument, would you be more likely, I guess, to enjoy music from that instrument as opposed to music from other instruments or even electronics? Well, that's a very interesting question. And I'm just, uh, I will admit that I'm just sort of speculating now. We don't really know for sure. Mm. I'm guessing somebody who is a musician, and I'm not a musician, so I, I can't speak of this the way a musician would, uh, will probably like all kinds of music not just especially the music for the instrument that they play. But I think what the musician might do is be a little more critical or analytical about the artist. In other words, if you play the guitar yourself, uh, yeah. listening to a guitar player allows you to make judgments about how skilled and talented that person is in a way that a non-musician simply couldn't do. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time. Dr. Frank McAndrew, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. And with that, 
It's back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Liam and Daniel. We would also like to thank Dr. David Greenberg and Dr. Frank McAndrew, the two psychologists that took part in the interview today. And to conclude, young people spend roughly 20% of their time listening to music. According to the interview, during adolescence, teenagers look to try and find who they really are, in conflict with their past self. During this period, their music habits can change dramatically. With age, one would listen to mellow music. Music plays a key role in a person's life, and each generation has its own sound. The fact that audible sounds can be captured and have the capability to replay it infinitely is a spectacular concept. Each era has a sense of music that represents its members. You may ask, what was the best generation of music? That's not an easy question to answer, but we can say for sure is that every generation has contributed to the development of music as a whole. Thank you very much for listening to our show.